0: Hello? Hello?
1: It's all around us.
2: everybody what's up welcome back this week we have Tally johnson on the show to talk about civil war ghosts of south carolina a whole bunch of haunted stuff up at the capitol um with me is my friend Ashira, returning to the show of what was your paranormal organization again i know you just changed the name of it i can't remember what it was or what it is now or something no you're
3: fine i just shortened it it's just uncharted studies now
2: Uncharted studies, and you're in the process of putting all together Facebook pages and all that junk now. I brought you back with me because you are kind of become my my resident historical ghost person, or haunted person, or whatever, for lack of a better term, and we've got at least one more show coming in the works here pretty soon, so... <laughs> Exciting stuff, yep. Yeah. How you been? You been good? You been all right? Everything going okay for you? You're uh... Yeah,
3: everything's trucking along. Everything's going really good, so...
2: I am a, a nervous rest, not. That. I am a nervous wreck right now, as is obvious, because I just changed out my microphone setting, or I, I had to switch over to a different microphone audio setup because my other one was giving me grief. And I'm really, really, really weird about messing with my stuff, especially like three minutes before a show. So okay. I have no idea what this is going to sound like when it's recorded and when it's mixed or anything. Right now, right now, it seems like like every time you change something it just sounds different so right now to me i feel like i'm talking through a shoebox or something just cuz it sounds so different
3: yeah but you you're like good. yeah
2: you're like you sound fine you sound great i'm like yeah I mean-
3: yeah, <laughs> I'm not the audio expert, but I think you not good. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'll know when I actually sit down in front of my recording equipment and actually go to mix it and stuff, and I'm like, this sounds fucking horrible. <laughs> so, anyways, um, so yeah, you studied up on this stuff. I've studied up. I think we have a different line of questions. I'm hoping we can have him on here for maybe an hour, hour and a half, maybe a little bit longer. It's going to be weird because we're going to have a political show without actually doing politics, which I love um. It. Yeah, I think at this point everybody's tired of politics in every way, shape, or form. So I was like, well, but he has a lot of history indirectly regarding a lot of the crap that just went down. So he brought that up and then in conjunction with his Civil War Ghost Stories books. Now, if anybody's never heard Tally before, if you haven't heard him on the show that was on here last time, he's got this South Carolina Southern drawl and he's a storyteller. So he's kind of one of those people that you're just like sitting there going, and – uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, but he's a good old boy. He really is a good guy. Um, he's become a very good friend of mine now at this point since I've had him on the show. And I always like talking to him, be it on the air, or off the air, or what have you. And you've never met him before, and he's never met you, and you were a research fiend. So, yes. this should be interesting. So,
3: I'm excited. I cannot wait to hear the history of it, especially.
2: Yeah, exactly. This is like, like, this is something that me and you've talked about many times off the show. It's not so much the ghost that interests me. It's the history behind what causes the effect, the haunting, or whatever it is that's causing whatever to happen. There's backstories to these things, and I find that stuff curious, because the haunting is like, okay, boom, it's haunted. That's it. That's kind of the end of the story. Right. So it's kind of like you when you hear about a ghost, you're going to go, that's the end of the story. What's the story leading up to this? What's the history exactly. of what this is? You know, yes. that's the fascinating stuff. So yes. anyways, let's just uh bug uh, bug Tally here. I keep wanting to call him Callie. Let's get Tally out of here. <laughs> I am such a ruck right now because like I'm just scrambling to hook all this stuff up and stress rates through the roof and all yep. this stuff. So <laughs> I get it. Anyways, let's uh let's see what happens here and let's roll with this.
4: To go, I, I loaded up with caffeine and liquor, so I'm ready to roll. Oh,
2: great! Yes,
3: <laughs> <laughs> my kind of man. Not my
4: first rodeo. Trust me. You be doing enough of this shit at 11 o'clock at a con on a Saturday night. You begin <laughs> to learn, to put in the flask, what to put in them.
2: <laughs> <get it, right? laughs> <sighs> yep. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Returning with us tonight, we have my friend Tally Johnson, who is here to talk about well, a wide variety of stuff. But the main reason you're here is you got a new book out called "Civil War Ghosts of South Carolina." Um, I got to be honest with you. When I think Civil War ghosts, I immediately go to Gettysburg, which is pretty much you know that's that's if 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 you're into if you're into ghosts and Civil War, Gettysburg is where usually you end up because that's where all the stories come from. But this is different. You've got a nice little book here, packed full of stories. Um, we're only going to talk about some of them, though, because I don't want to give the whole book away, because you've got a lot of shit in here. And then after that, we got to bullshitting on Facebook behind the scenes. And with all of the stuff that's happened lately, you had made a comment about the demon cat of Washington, D.C., C., and Capitol Hill, And I was like, you know about that stuff? And you're like, oh, hell yeah. And I said, all right, well, we're going to talk about it then. So the idea is we're going to have a political show without the politics, which myself, I'm completely fine with at this point. So because I'm burned out on everything. So anyways, welcome back, Tally. It's good to talk to you again. How are you? Great. How y'all doing? Um, I'm good.
4: I'm good. Trying to survive in the time of the plague, but, you know, otherwise we're hanging on.
2: Um, This book, this book, Civil War Ghost Stories, Battlefields, Haunted Places. You are from South Carolina. That is your home state. You are a historian of the strange and the weird for your area. We've talked to you before about ghost lights. We've talked to you about some of your own experiences. You had a situation where you had a man coming out of the muck or something out of you, I believe, last time we were talking to you. And then the man was gone. So let's get started here. Since our last show that we did on here a couple of weeks ago was about cemeteries, I'm gonna say it wrong because when I when you said it I saw I sounded like you were saying a bar, but it's Bath Bathabra Cemetery? Is that is that how you pronounce it?
4: Uh it's Bethabara Cemetery. Of course yeah, I um,
2: butchered it horribly bad because I'm from uh, Michigan.
4: I'm <laughs> here, um That's one of those biblical names that's probably pronounced 16 different ways. Mm -hmm. It's in Cross Hill, South Carolina, which is about 500 people. It's the middle of nowhere. I mean... For off the paved road kind of place. Uh, but it's also known as, this may make you a little happier, Old Ford Baptist Church. Okay. If you want to call it Old Ford, we can make it work. Now, I want to open, it's a cool story, but and they all are cool stories, but one thing about cemetery ghosts that annoy me is, and I say so in the book, because I mean, I, I don't pull many punches about this stuff. Most people don't hang out in cemeteries all the time. So if you're going to go find a ghost, why would you go somewhere that no one likes to go? Yep. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously there well, me and
2: Asher Ash have done it so, more
4: yeah. than a couple of times, so. <laughs> yeah. Like I say, most people, I mean, obviously people like us probably go hang out in them because they're cool, but the average person won't go to a cemetery to have a cup of coffee. Okay. So why would you go hunt for a ghost there? So Because that's, that's most where the cemetery, bodies are. Yeah, but most cemetery ghost stories are urban legends.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, they're mm-hmm. cool
4: stories, but there are a whole lot that are because you expect, you you equate ghost and dead people. Um, so I probably just lost half the audience in the first five <laughs> minutes. But, you know, it's all right.
2: Thanks just for in, head. folks. We'll be on next week. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, no, I, I totally agree. I think that a lot of the things you see in cemeteries are uh, tricks of the eyes, due to the, like the the headstones and things like that. And you don't get as much ghost activity in cemeteries as people might think.
4: Yeah. And um, the story in Bethabara is cool. It's um, there's a supposedly a gravestone that glows three times a year, and it changes colors four different times. And there's apparently a metal cross on top of the marker that actually does the glowing, an iron cross that marks Confederate grave.
2: Is there a DJ and I, here and a bunch of people dancing, or
0: that's no, a bad no, no, joke? No,
2: no.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: to show
4: you how unflappable I am I do those stories around campfires all the time with a bunch of drunk people you've got to raise your data for me all okay (laughs) that's not a damn challenge but I'm just saying (laughs) um But no, in Bethel Bar, the Iron Cross on top of the marker glows to four different colors three times a year. And I've been out there three different times because I featured this story in another book of mine, um, Ghost of the South Carolina Upcountry. And no one I've met has seen the grave change colors. Because one thing I always do when I go on a ghost investigation checkout trip i make sure I grab lunch or breakfast in a local diner. You know, no chain restaurant, go to where the parking lot's full and where the highway patrolmen eat and shoot the bull.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: No one's heard about this marker in Cross Hill, um, and the three nights I've been, I've not seen anything. Other issue with it, like I said, it's a great story. I wish the story was true and it, I could say, head out there on Friday night and by God, you'll see something bizarre. There's an inscription on the gravestone, supposedly, but the Graystone does not have a does not mark a Confederate veteran. There's one Confederate veteran buried there whose grave is marked with the iron cross, but the inscription is not there. Hmm. I've watched and the. It, Iron Cross is typically in front of the headstone, not on it. So, because uh. they're for freestanding, people steal them for mementos because they're stupid, you know. Yeah. Don't, don't steal shit from cemeteries. It's not cool. And that's the I history we'll can... be talking. Um, I've been out there. I've looked for it. And it's kind of like um Black Aggie and some of the other statuary ghosts in the graveyard where if you put your hand in the hand of the Jesus on the pedestal, he'll grab you or the angel's face will turn demonic when you walk up to it at night. It's that kind of story but it's not negative
3: interesting I was going to ask you about that because you do cover a lot of history in the, the stories that you talk about at least all the history that you can locate about it now yeah. what do you do when you include it in your book and I, I mean I've read this so I already know but I figured the listeners might want to know what do you do when the the history doesn't really match the story do you still include the whole thing and then kind of give your opinion on it
4: Yeah, um, um, I'm a firm believer that most ghost stories are the National Enquirer version of local history. Yeah. They commemorate people who weren't famous enough to be on the National Register of Historic Places, to have one of the big state historical marker signs in the front yard. But they're people the locals don't want to forget about. Right. One way to do that is we tell ghost stories. You know, every neighborhood has the creepy house at the end of the road, (laughs) all that stuff. The problem is now we have gotten to be so mobile. You may be born in a place, lived there for two years, moved, been in high school someplace, immediately moved to college, immediate move off from college, and you have no roots really anywhere.
0: Hmm.
4: Whereas our grandparents, especially in Beyond before, they lived in the same place for families been there a hundred years. So you have times for these stories to snowball and become modern mythology. And that's now, true. Much. We don't have that as much anymore. So, it's, But it, you have to remember, like if I was talking about seeing a Chinese coley working on a railroad bridge in South Carolina before the Civil War, that's not right. <laughs> we didn't have those. We had places, um, and there's a place that's not related to the book. But there's a story in South Carolina about a haunted bridge, and someone said that the ghosts were Chinese coolies. And I'm like, uh, hell and no. Uh, The ghosts are second-generation slaves just from Africa, and they're talking shit about their boss in a language that won't get them killed. Ah. Not rocket science, but you have to be able to know. what. That's not me talking about... A Spanish Conquistador showing up in Monroe, Michigan. Oh. <laughs> Spanish yep. never got to Michigan. Therefore, why the hell would a Conquistador show up in downtown?
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's about 45 minutes to a half hour away from me. <laughs> Funny yeah. story. Downtown Monroe, Michigan has a stand—a statue of uh, Custer sitting on a horse. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever been to Monroe, Michigan.
4: I have not. Okay. There's this
2: big statue right at the main intersection next to the Raisin River running through downtown Monroe along next to the battlefield and stuff. And there's this big giant statue up there of Custer. And um, over the years, I may or may not have done this as well. I probably did. Hell, I did. But I'm not going to say that I did. But people have been known to climb up on this statue because it's a bronze statue and polish the horse's balls. So... (laughs) Um, hey, yeah, oh my gosh yeah <laughs> just, just the horses balls but yeah that's my claim to fame I have I have polished Colonel, general Custer's horses balls in northern Michigan
4: hey we have some we have a thing in Charleston called the Coburg cow just a local dairy and basically it's a like a the sign says Coburg and there's a cow that rotates around it. Mm-hmm. One of the old Yeah, the big thing is for like people at the Citadel, the military college in Charleston. One of the hazing things is cadets have to go up and ride the cow all the way around the sign. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. But that's the thing. You have to go ride the cow. So same kind of shit.
3: Oh cool though. <laughs> Such a fun hazing.
2: <laughs> so Let's move across to the South Carolina State Museum. Now, this one's neat because you have a haunted elevator in there. And not only do you have a haunted elevator, but you have a headless person that roams the halls of the inside of this place holding its head and several other things. So what's up with that?
4: Yeah, um, where the State Museum here is in Columbia, South Carolina, and it's based in an old cotton warehouse. I think it was part of an old cotton mill at one time. There are two elevators in the building that I'm if i remember right one is the freight elevator at the far end of the building and that's where the guy with the head without the head gets off i mean he's he's been seen um by employees the elevator goes up stops and he walks off and he's carrying his head basically with both hands around his in front of his belly and he walks a couple steps and vanishes but there are uh, there's another ghost in the building who rides the main elevator He's intact, and he pushes the button on the second or third floor. Those faster crowd gets on the elevator and immediately pushes door closed button, rides it down to the first floor, and when the elevator opens, there's no one on it, which I think is Mm -hmm. It's like, screw you, I'm from Texas, I'm getting on the elevator, and here he goes. And then the third guy, who is apparently intact as well, who the staff calls Bubba, who stomps around in the exhibit, and he's wearing overalls and work boots, and they think he worked at the site long before it was a museum. And But he just appears in random places at random times throughout the building. The cool thing about the State Museum, and it, what ties it into the book, is they have a reproduction of the CCS Hunley, the first functional submarine. Oh, nice. They so on it on the second floor, so it's like... 25 feet above the floor. And it's probably 10 feet from the railing around it. It's above a big, giant, prehistoric shark. So to give you an idea of the scale, where this thing is. Mm -hmm. Wow. And about 10 years ago, I was down there with my niece. And I was more into it than she was, of course. But she saw an exhibit she wanted to go look at. And she runs ahead of me because I'm old. And I walk up and there's this guy in like, a white collarless shirt, gray pants, and shaggy brown hair. Just are standing on the side of the um hall next to the railing at the Huntley. I pass this guy standing there, and he's leaning on the rail, and I ask him if he's seen a top or run past, and he turns, doesn't say a word, turns and walks through the rail, takes about two steps, and vanishes.
0: Ah oh, how cool.
4: Not the wily Coyote thing where he stands there, looks down and falls, none of that shit. He takes two steps in <laughs> the air and vanishes. I'm not in ghost mode. I'm in, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. I can't find my niece mode.
0: <laughs> oh.
4: And she comes running around the corner, and she's like, who are you talking to? And I'm like, just a guy. But it took me about 15 seconds to get my wits back, and I'm like, holy shit. It's not here anymore. Shit. He just walked away
2: and vanished. <laughs>
4: yeah i I didn't know i didn't confuse the child um it took me about 15 seconds to get my shit back together because i'm like i'm not looking for a ghost i'm just hanging out babysitting the hell Mm -hmm. that's the best time i think (laughs) yeah and those are the ones that drive me crazy because you're like ghost and then you're like i never (laughs) see one (laughs) and then you're like I'm not worried about no damn ghost, and here they come like a damn parade. You're like, <laughs> where the fuck were you at ten minutes ago when I was? There?
3: <laughs> of course, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so you're
2: late. <laughs> did you tell anybody in the museum about that? Have other people seen that one, or is that something you just kept I to yourself?
4: Said to a lady on the way out, and she just kind of nodded her head, like, yeah, we'll put it on the list. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sure because they get to, they have rotating things and they come from different. I'm sure they've had kind of random ghosts over the years. Yeah, but what caught my thought after I left was the hoodie that hangs in the state museum's like a fiberglass replica. Mm-hmm. Stop the real boat. Why the put the guy there? <laughs> That's I mean, true. So I'm, I'm just like, why the hell would he? I, I, I only thought it, it must be one of the guys on the elevator who was just out and checking out to see what new exhibits were there or something. Because I'm like, why the hell were you there?
2: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We have um the Henry Ford Museum up here. It's just called the Henry by everybody local. I've got some family that works there and stuff that place yeah. is very haunted but the museum refuses to make any kind of public statement or acknowledgments of it um, yeah. you have the um, the limousine that uh, President Reagan was shot in um, there and that was that also gets sent out from time to time it has this yeah. weird effect and they, yeah. they, they won't acknowledge that it's haunted but the windows from time to time will just fog up the glass itself will just fog up for no reason and then it'll go away. Yeah, the- yeah. Oh, yeah. What, Greenfield, I think it is Yeah, Greenfield Village, Henry Ford Museum Yeah, 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 yeah yeah. yeah. And that place is, because um, a lot of the buildings are Like a lot of the, the stuff that's in there It's a historical museum, so the stuff that's in there is real The buildings that are there, okay. a lot of them Are the actual buildings that were brought there Brick by brick and reset up and things like that You have uh, the ghost of Henry Ford that pops up In there from time to time um, I've, I have know a lot of people that work there. I've talked to a lot of people who work there, but no one will go officially on record or on microphone or officially talk about anything. And the museum itself is very strict about, if anybody asks, this museum is not haunted. Officially, uh, this museum is not haunted. You know,
4: <laughs> so. Worse than that of the National Park Service. Uh, what was that? And the, South Carolina, the National Park Service is worse. Yeah. And the State Park Service are worse. Mm-hmm. They're the only ones. Are. Everybody else is like, Oh, hell yeah, we've got a ghost. Come on. Mm-hmm. For an extra $25, we'll introduce you and he'll sign an autograph. Come here.
2: Yeah, they do that at the Gettysburg, too.
4: they yeah. so like, hell no, Fort Sumter, River Bridge, Rose Hill. We ain't got no damn ghost.
2: Hmm.
4: What a, hmm. We ain't got no damn ghost. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you ask the people who work there, oh, hell yeah, we're eat up with the things. But if you call all the office, ain't no ghost.
2: Yeah, I've, I've, it's the same way up here with the Henry Ford. I've talked to people there, and they're like, well, as long as I'm not taking – no names are being taken and I'm not being recorded. I've had a lot of people tell me a lot of really cool stuff there. Nobody that works there is really freaked out by it, but apparently it's it's – the people who work there, it's very common up there. You know, the people that work, like, the night security guards and stuff like that. And I know a few people that work in the garage there and fix the old vehicles and stuff. And a lot of them are very blase about it. It's like you said, yeah, we'll add it to the list. A lot of them are just like, yeah, that's blah, blah, blah. He comes through here from time to time. You know, did you watch the Lions game last night? I'm like, no, you've got a ghost in here. Yeah, it, it happens. Yeah, whatever. You know? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So, well, let's move on to the Battle of Dinkins Mill, uh, another historical battle. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit, because you've got a little bit of the history about the battle and stuff, and then you yourself had, that. Was, this was another place that you had an experience of your own, correct?
4: Well, <clears throat> my wife had the experience, and it was one of those random things. Dinkins Mill was part of what they call Potter's Raid, and um, Potter was sent... From Sherrill, when Sherman was camped there before he went in the North Carolina to finish off Johnston and the Confederates, take out whatever supplies and the handful of Confederate troops that were left, and to capture a place in South Carolina called Sumter which was one of the few railroad hubs that was still fairly functional um, because Sherman expected that Lee would try to break out and come through eastern North Carolina, eastern North Carolina come towards that, to get toward Georgia, and hopes to head it out to meet up with Kirby Smith in um, Louisiana. So he wanted to make sure that the train stopped running. Potter came through with about 2,000, Federal troops, um, the Confederates had home guard, which were the older guys who couldn't fight or had already been out of the service, or the young kids, the high school kids who hadn't gone off the fight yet, and maybe a couple of hundred of those in different places throughout the area. They ran into each other at Dinkins Mill, which is about 15 minutes outside of Sumter, on the same day that Lisa rendered at Appomattox, ironically enough. About 30 people died total in the battle. Most of them were Union troops because the Confederates did have a field piece, a cannon from like the War of 1812. They were using the fire grape shot. One cool thing is there were two black regiments in the Union force. And it was one of the few times they actually got into combat in South Carolina. But of course, I mean, it slowed down Potter for about a day. And then he took Sumter and burned all the railroad engines and all this stuff. So when I'm working on my book, Ghost of the PD, the Sumter County sites are on the list. So I'm going down Highway 521 and we're on the way back with a friend, myself, my wife, and a friend of ours from who's now in Connecticut. We're coming back, and my wife looks over just before Highway Hypnosis kicks in in a sultry southern summer, and she looks over, and she says, did y'all see that? Well, of course, I say, no, what? And she's like, there's a guy back there in that building. Well, I'm like, well, shit, we have to go see what this is. So my dumb ass turns the car around, and we pull in this little (laughs) rickety job, and my wife Rachel locks the door. It's like, I ain't getting out. Screw you. And Aaron is like, what's wrong with these people? And I get out and I'm looking around and she and I said, what did you see? She said, I saw a man in gray standing on the second floor of that building, looking at the road. And I said, was it a uniform work clothes?" closely? I saw a guy in gray standing on the exposed second floor because the entire wall is missing. OK, so I walk up. There's nobody there. And when I get close enough to the briars and the rubble, the, the hole in the floor probably 10 by 10, where the guy would have been standing. And I'm like, well, shit. (laughs) And as I come back down the driveway, I notice across the street, the highway, there's a state historical marker that tells the Battle of Dinkins Mill, which I'd never heard of. And basically 500 yards to where the building is, is where the battle was fought. Oh, wow. And I, I stand there and I grin real big. And Rachel, you can see Rachel put her head in her hands like, oh, hey, And I get back in the car and I'm singing and then she's like, was it a ghost? Oh, hell yeah. And there's a story I can use in the book that I hadn't found yet. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I keep going home. Yes, ma'am, we're going home. I'm not going to go run around at, you know, 10 minutes till dark. Fine thing. We're going home. But I know where it is now, so it's good. Been through there Probably a half dozen times since. Never seen shit since. But like, one time counts. Damn it! And I'm gonna put it in the book. <laughs> <laughs> now sometimes that's what you. Sometimes that one time one time counts because this is the only time you'll get lucky enough to have something to use. So
3: actually, I did want to ask a question about the whole Petey thing. So you do write a book um, called the, the Ghosts of Petey. Rob, well, I've got that title all wrong. Oh, it is The Ghost of Petey. <laughs> um, yeah. And I noticed that throughout the book, you tend to include a lot of the different uh, chapters are different counties. Now, Mm -hmm. Petey is a place in South Carolina. Now, is it a a range of locations Um, or is it uh, a town? And then you just included stories from all over the counties around that town.
4: The PD is a river system. You've got the Great PD, the Little PD, and then just the PD that flows into the Atlantic. There's a river system that extends from Georgetown on the coast up through um, the sand, the far side of the sand hills um, and the swamps in the eastern part of the state going into eastern North Carolina um, up around Lumberton and all that stuff. Um, if you've Very ever been cool. to little Beach, one of the rivers you cross to get there is, is the Petey, and that's what they call the region that is basically the drainage for those rivers. And that, that's Interesting. What,
3: yeah, yeah. I was curious about that, because I was like, there's a lot of stories from all over all these different counties, but it's called the Ghosts of Petey, and when I researched a little bit on Petey, I, I couldn't quite tell if it was because it was an, a range, or, well, I guess now you're explaining that it was a, it's a waterway that... That flows yeah. out from those areas. I see. Yeah.
4: And um, the, the whole PD thing is hysterical because no one knows why it's called the PD. But there was an Indian tribe in the area, first English settlement called the PD, P-E-D-E-E. But the rivers weren't named after the Indians or the native americans they were named after something else and no one knows what else it was
3: oh wow how cool i'd heard of pd before and that's why i wouldn't ask specifically because i couldn't quite get an understanding of what they were talking about yeah very cool Do
4: you got any
2: cases are out there anything like that
4: yeah um let me think hold on
3: i do actually have have one that i was really curious about and Uh, it was yeah I, i think it was called the bingham lights
4: oh yeah um The Bingham slash Blenheim Light, um, classic ghost light story. Um, If you go to the place, and it's real close to 95, so if you're going to south of the border or whatever, you can get to it pretty easy. Supposedly, and it's, like I say, guy worked on the railroad. Um, Supposedly, his wife would walk down and bring him lunch. Um, When he wore the night shift, about 10 o'clock at night, carrying a lantern and a lunch pail. One night she tripped, the train ran her over, and the light is her lunch pail with their light trying to get to the railroad track. Another version is um, the same guy worked for the railroad and kind of like Joe when he was, you know, the brakeman on the train and another train was coming and he was trying to slow the train down and got crushed by the oncoming train.
2: That's kind of the same story we have with the Paulding lights in nor- northern Michigan. they um, Paulding lights? Um, yeah. It's kind of it's like anytime there's ghost light. lights or something and there's train tracks around, they always have the same kind of legends that tie into them.
4: Now, one cool thing, though, about the Bigum family is they're from that area, and they were bad dudes. I mean, the father-murderer guy, this, one of the sons was the first state senator from Marion County, which is where the lights base. He was killed by his brother, who, when he went on trial, said, if I'm lying, let the Lord strike my accusers down. And the DA prosecuted the case, dropped dead in the courtroom. Oh. The same brother stuck his hand under a moving train to get the insurance money. I mean, look up the a piece of the fox hide. It's the name of the book about the Bigum family. Oh. Wow, it is go it, it, You need to, to do a show on it with somebody that knows their stuff because they're bug buck. I mean, they're completely insane, wow. and it's a, one of these great early twentieth century southern gothic murder thing it is just wild but yeah but they're tied in with that because supposedly they own the land and yeah and they've got a small guy to the gray man too so
2: that's where i was going next i was going to ask you about the gray man because i know you have extensive knowledge on this weird thing and you bring it up in the book which is uh paulie's island and there's yeah. something else that we were talking about Um, as we were putting the show together and you said, you know, you could talk about the gray man. So what is the whole gray man thing? And how many of them is there? Apparently there's multiples of them.
4: Um, Well, there's one gray man, but there are a couple of different suspects on who he could be. Um, The gray man is one of the better known um, ghost stories from South Carolina. Um, He's kind of like the name Rouge in Detroit, to give you an idea. He is a harbinger of a hurricane that's coming ashore near Pauly's Island, which is the resort community Between Charleston and Myrtle Beach, more or less. A lot of planters lived there before the Civil War. And now it's the tourist spot, you know, kind of go back in time kind of thing. Like I say, if he appears to you before the storm comes ashore, your home or wherever you're staying won't be harmed. There's a story before um, Hurricane Hazel came through in 1954. A couple saw him on the beach and evacuated later that day. And when they came back in, their neighbor's houses were gone to the foundation, to the slabs. The oh, towels wow. left hanging on the rail of the porch were still there on their house. So,
3: huh. Do they have any yeah. description, like a better description other than just a gray man? Is it like, do they describe him a little better?
4: Well, it kind of morphs. In the early stories, he's wearing antebellum clothes, and he's been described as wearing a pirate's outfit, in quotes. As we've moved into the 20th century, he appears wearing more of a gray coverall kind of outfit with a gray cap.
3: Huh. Well, at least he's staying I- trendy. Yeah, well, I think part of that
4: is um, because the first recorded sighting, now there's a verbal sighting that he was seen before the 1822 storm, but the 1893 Sea Island hurricane is the first recorded reference to him, and he was seen in the pirate's outfit, which... To me just as he was wearing three antebellum clothes. Probably revolutionary era. Or he was dressed as a planner like you've seen the meme of Leonardo DiCaprio wearing the
0: The Yeah. He did
4: Yeah. It's fine. Um but he wait but he, he, when he's when Django on chain. Yeah. Yeah. He's dressed <laughs> like that and then but if you're a lower-class person or a servant, you wouldn't think, Oh wow, you know, yeah. that's somebody important. You'd just say, oh, that's the whole time he closed, so he's a pirate. Yeah. Because the three suspects are a man named Percival Polly, who the island's named after, who got it a land grant from the proprietor of the South Carolina back in the 1700s. The problem with this theory is the gray man has a love for Paulies. And Percival Pauly never lived there, never built a house It was basically an investment property. As soon as he died, he gave it to his kids, and they sold it all. I mean.
3: Yeah. So, again, with the history not really matching the story, but still really cool.
4: Yeah. And then the second theory is there was a young sailor who came back from a decade at sea. He was coming up the beach to meet his beloved on a horse, you know, dressed through the nines and antebellum style, ran into a thing of quicksand and sank. ass over tea kettle, horse and all, and he died. And he reappeared at her wedding, and she broke the engagement and died a widow, a spinster and all this crap. If you prefer the romantic version, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: I like I like the romantic version, just because you said ass over tea kettle. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> my my personal theory is that the gray man is a man named Plowden Charles Jenrette Weston, one of those great southern names. Um mm. <laughs> He was a major landowner in the Pauley's Island and Georgetown County area on the house on the island that is now known as the Pelican Inn, which is the big hotel, in quotes, on the island. He went off and joined. He had tuberculosis, of course, like everybody else did in 1860. Went off and joined the Confederate Army for about 15 minutes, got sick, came home to die. Um, the state senate unanimously led to him lieutenant governor so his wife would have a pension, and I mean, with within a year of getting diagnosed, he was dead. Um, but he loved Pauly's, um The Pelican Inn is one of the focal points of the Gray Man Haunting. It seems like on that beach is where he appears most often before the storm. Clowden's wife, Emily, haunts the Pelican Inn as a lady in gray. She's bad to want to tuck kids in the bed and all this stuff. Another plantation that Weston owned was the Hagley Plantation, which is across the Highway 17 from the actual island, and there's a ghost story there about a man in Congress, Confederate officer uniform who appears on the boat landing, and his young bride appears with him in a gray gown, and they walk arm-in-arm arm into the former chapel on the plantation and vanish. As the chapel fills with an unearthly light, they walk through the door and vanish. And the light goes out. And to my mind, that would be a more likely suspect to be the gray man, especially given that the first appearance is in 1893 and Weston died in 1864. Yeah, that's my vote. But your mileage may vary.
3: No, I think I think your reasoning is really good on that one. Yeah, well,
4: the, the tagline on the place is arrogantly shabby. Oh my God! A lot of the houses didn't have electricity or phone service, or even running water, until into the 20th century. Like I say, most of the planters in George, the rice planters in Georgetown County. Had homes on the island. You know, it's where the summer season happened, where you'd run or, went around to visit and got yellow fever from the mosquitoes and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's just been like a retreat for resort for
2: a long time. So, well, let's finish up the, your book and talk about Rose Hill State Park. Um, there's apparently a man holding a lantern that rides through the woods, and this is you hear this a lot with like the Gettysburg battlefields. Uh, stories. There's even that video of the, of the Gettysburg one where people are filming the woods and you can see people like just barely like floating their heads through the woods or something like that. So is there a lot of stuff over at Rose Hill or is it just the one?
4: There is a lot, and I have to justify the existence of Rose Hill in the book. Um, it was the home of William Henry Gist, who was South Carolina's secession governor. Basically, Lincoln got elected. Gist called the legislator back in session and said, we got to get the hell out. Because if we don't, we ain't going to have no more slavery. Um, the legislature said, absolutely, we're out of here. And from there, our troubles began, so to speak. The Gist family owned the land. From late 1790s until the 50s, the house was derelict, falling in, and the state took it over in time for the Civil War centennial, which is where most of this stuff started up, including the rebel flag being the flag of choice for all the nitwits. (laughs) Um, Hey, my high school mascots were the rebels. I don't want to hear it, so... Oh, I'm not getting any grief. Don't worry. You're cool. But Rose Hill um, is now a historic state historic site. And the man with the lantern seen near Tiger River is Governor Gist making his rounds checking on the cotton fields to make sure the slaves were at work and all that. And um, he was known to do this in life. He'd get up every morning, make the circuit of the farm or the plantation on horseback. Just before dawn, so he would carry the lantern so he could see where he was going. And he's been, re- that light's been reported in the woods as recently as 2010. So, I mean, 150 years after his death, the light still shows up. A phantom troop of Confederate cavalry has been heard in the driveway of the house, and it's authentic. It's still gravel. It's not paved or anything. The approach. There was a case on the road outside the Main house, um one of the guests' daughters and a slave girl were picking blackberries on the side of the road, and a carriage runaway carriage came along and there's variances in the story, of course, so one version is the black girl who the slave saved the daughter by pushing her off the road, and there's another version that the daughter of Governor Guests pushed the slave girl in front of the carriage so she would get hit. I don't want to drive malice to a 10-year-old, but the slave girl got killed and supposedly on the anniversary, you will see two little girls appear in the middle of the road. The white girl jumps into the brush on the roadside and the black girl stands there until your car approaches and then she vanishes. So, yeah, there's a lot of ghosts out there. Now, comma, if you call the State Park Service in South Carolina, Rose Hill ain't on it. Just to let you know, if you call to verify the story, you won't get one because there ain't no ghost out
2: there. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. <laughs> but, so is is it is there a lot of them out there in that area, or is that just the one? Uh, no, they're the a good a good
4: number. Um, there's a crybaby bridge, of course. Um, Those are two for a dollar. Every state of the union's got at least one.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Every county got one. <sighs> they're all they're all bullshit, by the way.
3: Yeah, pretty much (laughs) I've been to a couple
4: A few No judgment But basically Crybaby (laughs) Bridge No, Crybaby Bridge exists To get teenage boys laid
0: Yeah Hi, because you know, I'll
4: I'm, I'm take you down there, Ash. I'll tell you all this bullshit about you know the poor girl she got hit by the bus, the boy on the motorcycle. Baby goes this way, she goes the other. She hits her head and drowns. The baby drowns. Everybody dies. Uh, and if I crack the car windows and flash the headlights or halt the horn, you'll hear her. Well, you've never been outside downtown Detroit. You don't have a damn clue what the woods sound like.
3: Uh, exactly.
4: <laughs> so I take you down there. And it's real quiet. You hear the grrr grr, of the creek, Wonk. deer snorts, owl hoots, whatever. You're in my lap, and the rest is history. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, y'all. Really? Y'all can do better than this. So when I always tell that story at cons and stuff, I'm like, Grindaby Bridge really a lie. And if you have to go, wear a condom. And I always at least... Five, five I get one mom always says, you shouldn't tell them that. And I'm like, oh, do you want grandkids when they're 14? I mean, it's <laughs> part of the public service, where I scare them and I try to get, keep like getting pregnant.
3: It's time for your daily PSA. <laughs> yeah.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. And the con runners love it. They laugh their asses off. But the, you see, there's always, at least that one mom who's like, that's in a bright way. You it's know what? At twelve thirty, at a con. What did you expect to happen? <laughs> 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 so true. <laughs> have you not seen some of the adult cosplays? <laughs> You're lucky.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Yep, and I'm sure you've asked been asked this before, but I'm really curious and intrigued as far as what got you into taking all these. Stories and consolidating them into some really awesome books. What what drove you to to do that? You just like ghost stories, or um, I
4: like ghost stories. Um, there's a lady from South Carolina, from North Carolina, actually named um, Nancy Roberts, and I, I can't think of a good comp for Nancy Roberts up in no part of the world. But she made her bones writing ghost story books in the 60s and 70s. Nice, and she went to schools and tell these stories. Um, and most of the kids were like, yeah, yeah, I don't have to do math today. And I'm like, oh, shit, ghost? Really? Where? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in fifth grade, and she's telling these stories about places that I've been Fort Sumter, Hendersonville, Charleston. And I'm like, oh, shit, I can go. And her husband at the time, named Bruce, took these really cool double exposure photographs of the ghost in quotes. So you'd be reading a book and all of a sudden, wait, there's Alice of the Hermitage. Damn, she's pretty. And yeah. You're 10 years old, your brain doesn't process double exposure. I'm thinking, this is a real ghost. This is f-ing cool. How'd he do that? And I, when I got older, I'd go out and I'd investigate and I'd check out the creepy old house and all that stuff. And when my wife started teaching um, third grade, she's like, I need you to come entertain these kids so I can get ready for the Halloween party. And I'm like, do what? I'll entertain kids? How? <laughs> and her last word, famous last words were, Tell them ghost stories. You've got 500,000 books at the damn house. Just make a couple up. Well, I did. They liked it enough that she had kids 10 years after they, after they left her class coming back to hear the ghost stories on Halloween. How and cool. I kept, and books came about because I kept bitching about, well, all the ghost stories about the Civil War, Gettysburg, and all the South Carolina ghosts are the gray man and stuff like that. she's like, Well, you know, all these other places. Just write them damn down. And some, and I'm like, I'm a kid from a mill hill who sounds like I've been smoking crystal meth and drinking moonshine out the damn copper pipe for the last 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> nobody can hear what I got to say and nobody wants to read the damn book I write. And he's like, just write book. So I wrote the book and lo and behold, History Press wanted the first one and the way we've gone ever since. So just I dumb luck, it. I guess.
3: I love it. You know, I remember reading Nancy Roberts and I, I, I was just absolutely, enthralled by your book so I, I really I really liked the way your books you know you included the sightings the experiences all the stories and then you know the history and then you also add a lot of your own opinions on it and how you deduce all your information so I really like the way the whole structure is very shifting so it's not like the same thing over and over again each story so I, I really enjoy it so I, I think that you uh It wasn't dumb luck. I think that you're just a really good writer.
4: (laughs) I appreciate it. Yeah. And part of my thing is, too, and this is something I notice a lot of the more, I guess, academic books don't do. I try to go to the place that I'm retelling the story for. Um, And if I have a story, you know, if I have an experience, you get that story. I tell you what should happen, what did happen, and why it happened. And if I go and fuck all happens, you get that, too. I mean, let's states that ghosts don't perform on command. You can't schedule a ten thirty showing of uh, the Great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> the niche showed light, or any, you can't do this. because
2: so- no, if you could, it wouldn't be paranormal anymore. You'd be able to do a hard investigation on it, and well, this stuff would be proven, and that would be the end of it. You know, we wouldn't be chasing after the stuff like we have for hundreds of years.
4: Well, I think we still would, though. I have to argue with that point because, I mean, the more scientific ghost investigators – have a place. I mean, I, I would love to have a ghost I could put in a box and say, This is what a ghost is. This is how you feed them and all that stuff. But when you asked, and I wish more people would do this, ask a ghost hunting team how they got into it. And it's not because yeah. I get to play with a ghost box or an MF meter or whatever. No, the story. You either yes. had something happen or you heard a story that was cool mm-hmm. that got you. So I think even if we proved ghost stories, all true or all bullshit or some combination thereof, I think people would still be interested because of the stories being so good and related. Oh, I don't.
2: Yes. Well, it's modern folklore. That's why. Yeah. You know, the, these, are, yeah. these are our modern folklore stories that are passed on. It's kind of like we said, you know, and I've said it a few times on the show, every state has the legend of park your car, put it in neutral, and the ghosts will push you over the railroad tracks or push you over the bridge or
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, something, you know. There's always, like, put the talcum powder on the back of the car, and then when you drive over, you will see the fingerprints on the back of the car. Um, Every state has a melonhead story, like melonhead children. Michigan's got several in different places. Um, Yeah. Every state. Uh, What was that? Yeah.
4: Friday Bridge is one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: Um, or the lantern that floats out of the ground and floats down the road past the car. Uh, the ghost hitchhiker, which actually I was reading somewhere that those stories are actually kind of on a decline now. You're not seeing, you're not hearing too many of the ghost hitchhiker woman stories anymore along those lines. Um, I did want to ask you one more out of your book that I forgot about, which is The Battle of Honey uh, Hill. Um, yeah, yeah you've got some uh you've it's got a good amount of history to it but apparently november through january you can still hear the battle raging on you hear uh, bullets and things like that this is another kind of story that is quite common with um battlefield ghosts and things like that um you'll either see the troops and stuff but you'll also hear you'll hear gunshots or cannon shots or commands being given or something like that and that is apparently what this place has as well
4: yeah um yeah, the battle happened November thirtieth eighteen sixty four um, It was part of Sherman trying to finish off Savannah, mm-hmm. and like you say, you know, it's one of those stories, and it kind of hits that hell of ground theory of the Civil War where you can be in the area, and the area is kept vague on purpose because it's a archaeological site, it's a historic site, and it's on private property. So three good reasons not to screw with it if you're some rando wanting to get into ghost hunting. Mm-hmm. But supposedly, if you're in the area, you will hear, and it's all auditory, there are no um, visible manifestations. You'll hear cannon fire, you'll hear small arms fire rifles and pistols and whatnot. But when you approach the area, I and mean, I'm not sure what the line is, you know, is it a mile away, is it 100 feet, whatever, everything stops and it's quiet as the tomb. Like They're quiet after that first snow of the year where everything is like muffled. Mm-hmm. Outside it's like, there's no noise. Because <laughs> I go deaf in the night. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the. it's just like wildlife noise, boom, 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 stop. Mm. And supposedly when you leave the area, it resumes. That's interesting. Yeah, the hallowed ground, you know, don't don't trespass on sacred soil and all that stuff. So again, I haven't experienced. I haven't been able to locate the site. I don't have enough pool to get onto a site like that. So um, but I mean like you say, it's very common. It's not like it's a one place only kind of thing. You hear about it. Antietam, Chickamauga, Shiloh, all the places where they have, Gettysburg, where they have battle rent, battle replays, I call them. Yeah. Whenever you approach that area, it stops because this ain't for you. Huh. And That's interesting. when you respect the area and leave, it'll come back. Sound kind of like a kid watching a dirty movie on the internet, you know, when you come <laughs> <Yeah>. up <laughs> off, face, off, you know, and when you walk off, they open it back up. I mean, it's I was going
3: to say you got to be good if you're going to experience it, right?
4: <laughs> yeah, to put it into a modern. And that's part of it too with the ghost stories, without like the vanishing hitchhikers. Why don't you have vanishing hitchhiker stories anymore? Because you don't see any hitchhikers yeah. anymore. Because we've all had to have heard about Ted Bundy picking up a girl on the side of the road; she's dead two minutes later. I mean, it's one of those things. There's not a shared experience with, and that's one thing. I, I'm doing a book on the Wild Hunt now. And I've noticed that you don't have the gallop and cavalcade of men on horseback and goat back and everything else. Now you have ghost trains where there were not railroad tracks, the sound of big semis versus... Hundred men on horseback. You have a the sound of a semi engine roaring through a trees. Because how many of us have heard more than one horse anywhere ever?
0: Right. Yeah. So you have to.
4: Yeah. Your mind has to. All right. It's not this. It has to be that. Because I've never heard A. Hey, it's got to be B. So
3: yeah, and I mean that it kind of goes along with I, what you were saying. You know, you get people that are from the area and they mistake a lot of the things that they <laughs> hear around them into something else, and it becomes paranormal and supernatural. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. Yeah. I don't disagree with you at all. So let's move on to Washington. And then I'm going to ask you a couple of series of questions, which I'm sure you've been asked a million times. But hey, I'm going to do it anyways. (laughs) So I guess, you know what? The Capitol building is a great place to start, you know, because of just all of the crap that's gone down in the last couple of weeks. So you've got the Capitol building, which is supposedly very haunted. You have Washington, D.C.'s demon cat. You have the haunted White House, um, which is well known for supposedly being haunted by Abraham Lincoln. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's it's where do you want to start? I guess do you want to start at the Capitol building? Uh, yeah, we can start at the Capitol, and
4: um, yeah, we'll start with Demon Cat. Um, now, Demon Cat has his roots in I would say pre nineteen, well, pre World War Two. The way the people controlled a mouse problem was cats. And in the building the size of the Capitol, you had to have a whole bunch of cats who were basically feral to kill the mice. So there were dozens of cats roaming the halls freely and all this stuff in the Capitol.
2: It probably smelled amazing.
4: (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I I (laughs) envision cats in heat like.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Adding, add in the general hygiene issues, the public health issues. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it was just, you yeah. know, a damn perfume factory.
0: <laughs> yeah.
4: Um, <laughs> yeah. So all these cats have died off and adopted as pets, whatever. And supposedly there's one that's hung on for decades. And they call it Demon Cat because it's in D.C. for short. Uh, okay. Real, real yeah, real catchy. Um. <laughs> They, um, reports are he's seen in the crypt because the crypt in the Capitol was where they were going to bury George Washington originally until Martha said, uh, hell no, he's getting buried at Mount Vernon with me, not in the bottom of some hole somewhere. But the crypt is where he's normally seen, and he normally appears before moments of great national crisis. Um, He appeared the day day he surrendered at Appomattox, um, the day of Lincoln's funeral, Garfield's funeral, McKinley's funeral, um, the day we went into World War I, um, the day before we went into the Great Depression with the stock market crash of 29, Pearl Harbor, he was seen that week, Um, he was seen while Kennedy was lying in state in the Capitol, supposedly then he got, went from being house cat size to, and the story says, roughly the size of a small pony. He jumped at a guard's throat, a Capitol policeman's throat, and the Capitol policeman was so terrified that he died the next day and never explained anything beyond cat, cat, cat. Oh, wow. Um, and was laid to rest the same day JFK was at Arlington. Talk about being overshadowed in death, out of it. Mm hmm. And according to a Facebook friend of mine who knows someone who works at the Capitol, D.C. showed up the week before the insurrection at the Capitol, <coughs> um, which if I had been lucky enough to be in Congress, I would have taken as a sign from God and been like, true y'all, I'm out of here. I'm going home for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> <It's awful. laughs> uh, I mean, it's one of the things, and if you look at it, I mean, there are reports in the various Washington newspapers um, John Alexander's book on Ghost of Washington, all these different places. And I mean, the state and times and the descriptions. I mean, it's a black cat. looks normal enough. And very hostile to change size from cat size to small dog to German shepherd size depending on the severity of the crisis to come and all that stuff but and I'm like and, and when he and when that's why I asked the question after the insurrection did anybody see devil cat because I figured if it was going to show up now that would be a time and then he comes on and says oh hell yeah we saw it and I'm like
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey, those two
4: recent political history tied together—it's wonderful. Yeah, and I, did, I was home that when that happened. And my wife looked at me and she's like, "You are such a damn nerd." <laughs> and I said, "Uh huh." Well, but, I mean, I, it is
2: a very haunted town. There's, there's, there's ghosts okay. all over Washington D.C. There's, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm surprised there's not more made about it. I do have a book on the haunted White House, but. You know, it's just, you know, you've got Dolly Madison that haunts the garden there, apparently. Um, that's her name, right? Dolly Madison? Uh, well, yeah,
4: because she, well, I was going to say Dolly Madison supposedly showed up in anger when the second Mrs. Wilson decided to tear out her rose garden, mm-hmm. which was the actual original rose bushes that she had planted after the burn of the building in 1814. And supposedly she appeared in her turban and flipped over a wheelbarrow and all this stuff. And all the gardeners were like, screw y'all, we're out of here.
0: hmm
4: We didn't on for this. Um, Jackie O made the changes um, back in 62 when she was doing the big renovation restoration rather and no sign of Dolly Madison. So I wonder when Melania did her changes if Dolly showed up and raised a <laughs> So. That's out a political statement. That's just given how well that was received by public at large. I'm like, I bet Dolly was pissed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've got a page. Put it this way, I've got a page of notes on the Capitol hauntings and another page on the hauntings at the White House. Like two pair, like like three words each. Oh wow, that's how many there are. Just other two buildings in, the, in the DC.
2: So let me ask you this, then. Since you've been doing research all this time, this is the question you've probably been asked a million times. But since you are uh, an investigator and you've had experiences of your own, um, this is a wide-open question. There's real no real answer for it. But what do you believe that ghosts are? Do you believe that ghosts are a residual effect, like a record that just keeps playing over and over again? Do you believe that this is something that is just in a loop and has no idea that's in a loop, um, you know, or is it all of the above? Is this something that actually has a some kind of intelligence that will interact with people or what have you? Like the one that you saw next to the submarine or something like that. You know, what is what is your overarching theory or idea thus far? I think
4: for probably nine and ten of the ghost stories, it's a residual and or an atmospheric haunting um, and the best way I can explain a residual haunting to somebody is think about an old VHS tape. You'll watch the tape when I mean, it's brand new; everything's crystal clear, nice and bright. You watch it five years later; it starts. There's fuzzy on the corners, maybe a stripe or two that comes across. Cause the heads are dirty on the VCR.
2: You got a lot of old porn, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry. <laughs>
4: Um, I I do my phone on the internet like everybody else does, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so
2: sorry, um, such an ass. Go ahead though. <laughs> couldn't help myself. Um, yeah, I know I you couldn't either.
4: It, and then you show it to the kids in 20 years, and it's snow and static and hiss and howl, and so you got the degradation. And it's like you know every year, every morning you get up at seven o'clock, you go in the bathroom, you cut the light on, you do your business, you flush the toilet, you cut the sink on. Well. When I move into your house in 20 years after you pass away, I may see you in the bedroom or in the bathroom. Five years later, I may not see you, but the light still comes on at seven o'clock every day.
3: Mm, Yeah, that's a really good analogy. I like that.
4: And eventually, after a hundred years, if I don't do anything to the house, if I don't decide to rip out the master bedroom and turn it into, you know, a sex dungeon or something.
2: Wow. Okay. That's that.
4: <laughs> but but
0: but it's
2: if I start really making make, like,
4: if I knock out the retaining wall and like I say, turn it into a sex dungeon or make it into an office or. So, your antique cloth tub you bought when you were newly wet out and put in, you know, a standing shower, you'll come back in response to those atmospheric changes. And, but you will respond by, damn it, this is my space and this is the way I want it to be. You'll rearrange furniture. The lights will come on when you're, when you're around and all this stuff. So, Mm. they're residual, but I think if given a impetus to change, if change occurs, I think they have enough residual sense to respond accordingly. And I think the rest of them are probably just like crisis apparitions where violence occurred mm. and a task was left unfinished. And they're like the vanishing hitchhikers trying to get home. Things like that. The yeah. unfinished business that keeps that little tug. And it's like, if I can just finish, I'll be done and I can go. and. <laughs> But again, but again, it's one of those things. That, it's like trying to catch, you know, you move an inch a year, and the thing in front of you moves an inch a year. You'll never catch it. I mean, it's not stable. Where it's like, okay, if I do X, I'm done because X keeps moving. Mm-hmm. So, but basically, what I think goes to a really damn cool story.
3: Yeah, I don't disagree, <laughs> and I like yeah. I like your analogy with the the VCR tape, and uh, <laughs> but. Uh, I do want to ask you, because I know that there's a lot of effort that you put into actually writing these books. So yeah. when when you go and you're gathering information for a story, what does that look like? Is it, is it a long process or is it sometimes you can be in and out?
4: Well, um, I will say the research is a hell of a lot more fun than the actual writing. <laughs> uh, basically, what I do is I will hear, I will have a story. Like I'm working on a book um, on Coastal ghosts of South Carolina because I have to finish off the last dozen counties I haven't covered already in the other books. Other and I'll have a basic concept of when the county was formed, a couple of famous people from the county and that kind of stuff. So I have an idea of what to kind of start looking for first. And right. I do most of that on the internet. Um, I work at a library, so I cheat and I get a bunch of interlibrary loan books. I use um, Internet Archive and Hathitrust a lot to go back in musty books. And when I find my places that I need to check out, then I plan a road trip, and it's usually a day, like a single day, for a bunch. If it's closed, or a weekend if it's somewhere like three hours away, and I'll go and stops the library, I'll go to the newspaper Morgan, I'll go through microfilm and try to verify obituary dates and all that stuff. And like I say, I'll stop at the local diner and I'll say, Have you heard about so and so at how Alice at the Hermitage or the Gravestone at Bethel Bar or whatever and then then of course can I use your name in the book, I'll send you a copy. Oh yeah. Or oh such oh, hey, cool. hey, thing as goes <laughs> And <laughs> Then I'll I'll go along and then I'll come back and I'll I'll have this. It drives my wife crazy. I have a stack of paper about a foot high for each book. Um, Oh, wow. Okay. And because, I mean, I've written everything off and. I write notes on each page so I know where it goes and all that. And I'll weed out the ones that are private homes that aren't on the not, not National Register of Historic Places and stuff because I don't want somebody creeping in and looking in my bathroom window at 3 in the morning thinking I'm a ghost. No, I'm in the, <laughs> I'm in the shower, Leave me alone. <laughs> um, but if you put your house on the historic register, it's like, well, you're kind of saying tourists not welcome, but here's my house. Right. And of course, if you're a hotel or a restaurant or whatever, I figure if you're advertising a ghost. You're doing you're it forever. to get tourists. Yeah. Exactly. I'm America. always
2: leery of like bars and hotels and stuff that do that. Like, yeah, yeah. we've got a haunted bar because that's going to bring everybody into the bar. We've got a local place around here that's like that. It's a it's a, a barbecue restaurant. Um, and it's not. It used to be an old train station, like a train stop-off point and loading point and so forth. And yeah. there's a story there that there's a little girl that goes to the bathroom. There's a and it's been like this story has been around for a while, but you never really heard about it. And then when this place bought this place out and made it into uh, God, I think it's called oh, it's, it's like the Boneyard or something like that. I can't remember what the hell it is. But it's a cool place. It's very historical. But all of a sudden, now these stories of the old girl, the ghost girl, and the hauntings and stuff like that are starting to become more prominent again. And I think it's the owners that did that. They've got like little articles on the wall and stuff. Yet they refuse to let any kind of ghost hunters or anything in there like that to do any kind of investigations. Not that I fault them for that because I'm not sure if I'd want to be, you know, have. Hi, we're ghost hunting group number 29, and and we've watched the first four seasons of Ghost Hunters, so we know what we're doing. And, you know, I'm like, I don't know if I'd want, you know, people when they're doing that myself. But, you know, I'm just I'm wondering if it's one of those things where it's like, well, you know, their food's not bad there. It's pretty cool. It's got a nice ambiance and things like that. But do they are they doing this? to get more business into the place to like drive more people in there like yeah that place is haunted why don't you go and eat there you know that kind of a deal you know or you know is it really genuinely a thing
4: yeah and I think there may have been a ghost and that's the thing whenever I'd find one of those I'm like okay I have story X on three sheets of paper okay now we go research the site And, you know, that means going to the courthouse, going through deeds, you know, oh, the house burnt, it burnt down in 1894. Okay, find that newspaper. Make sure that if a house that big burned up, they'd be omissioned in the newspaper. Again, go through the deeds. Make sure the family named Jones lived in that house. Because... If there weren't no Jones, there ain't no Jones ghost in the house. You know, that kind of crap. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if, if the house was built in 1900 and the ghost is from the Civil War and there ain't no ties to the Civil War to the site otherwise, excuse me, that bullshit. All of that's a lie. I I'm not going to pay you the extra 20 percent to sleep in the haunted room because there ain't no damn ghost in the haunted room. I ain't going to order the expensive dinner because the ghost will show up if I order, you know, the play of salt. You ain't doing that. Filet of salt. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I ain't doing that. There ain't no damn ghost in here. No. And I had one person write me a nasty email and say, "You know, we're haunted." It's been written up in you know Southern Living and blah. I said, "Ma'am, your ghost story is a great story. It's about as true as me being a twelve-year-old girl. <laughs> it's great. It ain't true. Nothing I can tell you will make that story true." <laughs> right. It's a great story, but it's a fairy tale. Oh, it's absolutely true, and you're full of shit, and you're wrong, and that, then that. Long story short, she had to sell the place two years later because, gee, the bookings went down because the ghost was bullshit. <laughs> don't tell the ghost, don't, don't kill the ghost guy to come check it out if you don't have what you're going to sell.
2: Exactly. I mean, exactly. At least no. like if your house is haunted or something like that and there's a history behind it, at least try to play off of that history or something. Yeah. Don't, don't create, you know, a ghost story or something like that just to get people in there, which is a lot of times what I fear happens with a lot of these places, you know? So. Well, thank you. I mean, if, if you have a history behind it and it's down in the county registry and it's well known or something like that and you buy the building, then, yeah, sure, go ahead and run with it or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, don't just create a ghost story without having any kind of facts or anything like that, or at least do your diligence and find somebody that used to live in the house a long time ago. And if you're going to lie, make it, you know, make a believable lie of some kind or something like that, you know? Well,
4: that's my thing. All these pay-to-play places like Waverly and um, Trans-Allegheny and places like that where you—and old Charleston jail. Jesus Christ. Where you—the ghost groups have to pay to investigate or pay to take the tour and all this stuff. When you tell me about that, all my radars go off. I'm like, uh, keep bullshit detected. No, don't, don't, don't. Don't do that, damn it. There's nothing going to be there. <laughs> um, the only pay-to-pay place that I've ever experienced anything was the Battleship North Carolina. Because when the group I was with then went to the site, I made it a point to take unfiltered camel cigarettes, glass bottle Coca colas and I think I managed to find like a six-pack of glass bottle old-style beer or something. I mean, something that somebody then would have drunk, not Budweiser. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I brought that stuff. Put it where the torpedo hit the boat in World War II. Near the crew quarters, where there's been activity. And I basically said, "Hey guys, look what I got! I got Betty Grable, you know, on the swing in her underwear. Rita Hayworth in her teddy." <laughs> 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 no, that's what they. <laughs> I had a Superman comic that was a reprint from like nineteen. 19- 42 or something. The books got moved. The pictures got turned over and looked at. Cigarettes got taken out of the pack because 20-year-old kids, that's what they're going to go for. we holding up a box with flashing lights saying, what's your name? We're like, what the fuck is that? But if I say, hey, here's some cigarettes. Or, I remember Navy guys used to get like a carton a week when they were on active duty. Cigarettes are one of those things. Oh, hell yeah, I'll take that. Get it here. So I mean, that's the only time I've ever heard of anybody actually having an experience that I wasn't like, that's bullshit. Nice. So, <laughs> that'll get you hate mail.
2: <sighs> well, we've had you it's on like, here for over an hour now. Um, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, so this is the part of the show where I give people the chance to like promote what they've got, where people can find you. If you have any more books coming out, you know, like what's what's going on in the immediate future for Tally?
4: Uh, well, I'm, um, all my stuff's on Amazon. Um, I've got four books of ghost stories and a southern gothic short story anthology, mostly ghost stories, called Creek Walking from Falstaff Books. Civil War Goes to South Carolina just came out uh, from per- Perspective Press, came out last October. Um. Goes to the PD, just to the South Carolina upcountry, and just to the South Carolina Midlands are off the History Press out of Charleston. Those are older books, but they've got a bunch of good stuff in them. Um, I'm on a CD with Valentine Wolfe. I tell a ghost story, a Christmas ghost story, and they play atmospheric Victorian chamber metal behind me, and I'm on another. Did you say seat.
2: Victorian atmospheric chamber metal, like like heavy metal, or yeah?
4: Now, you need to have it to have Valentine Wolf on your show. He is a classically trained soprano, and he is the I think education director and lead double bassist for the Greenville Symphony. Okay, they do Victorian chamber metal.
2: And you go in and read ghost stories over top. Are there recordings of this? Can I? Is there like? Is yeah, this on so YouTube? Cool. Yeah.
4: yeah, the CD is Winter Night Whisperings. Uh, they did like Wexford Carol. That all those who were in and Klein. Hold on, I'm
2: googling this shit. Winter Night. i
3: I'm, I'm writing it down right now.
4: Winter Night Whisperings. Yeah, and the oddball in the bunch is one called the Bloody Bonnet at Blue Hole. That's where the whole CD goes to hell. <laughs>
0: what that's the awful? hell
3: What's yeah. what is this
4: so they've got a CD that is inspired the newest one is inspired by the poetry of Emily Dickinson oh that's so they've cool they've got another one that's inspired by the works of Edgar Allan Poe
1: oh my Go god
4: and look up Annabelle Lee epic version it's like mm-hmm. 15 minutes long and it will melt your fucking face
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. And they, they they write all their the only thought saying they didn't write like I say with most of the stuff on winter night Whisperings, because it's a Christmas CD so they're doing Christmas carol what's the band called? Valentine Wolf. Oh, Valentine, like, Valentine Wolf. And then I've done another track um, for a band named um, Antler Hill. Antler Hill um, does atmospheric film, film scores and stuff, small films. And he did a CD um, called Carolina Folklore. And same thing, I told the story of Alice of the Hermitage and he did a track behind me for Atmosphere. Oh, that's so, I'm so on those. Those are, both on, those are on Spotify and you can get the CDs from Amazon or the band. And, and Greek Walking is out on Kindle, Audible, and all that stuff, too, as well as in print. And you can get a hold of me on Facebook, of course, like everybody else in the free world. And um, hopefully, once we get COVID under control, I'll be back to doing um, live events. I do ghost stories at, like I say, sci-fi con, schools, libraries, anybody that'll have me that'll pay me, I'll go tell ghost stories, so...
3: Do you, do you post when you're going to be going to these kind of things on your Facebook, yeah. or do you have a place you post it?
4: Yeah, I put them on my Facebook, and um, I'll even put up, like, if I'm going to the school, I'll say I'm going to school X on day Y. Not because you can come, but because hopefully you'll see that and say, oh, shit, that school, well, I'll buy his books. Because um, I'm kind of a lot of a whore. <laughs> yeah. Buy my shit is just a monster. Yeah. Um, and at cons and things, I'll vlog those because, I mean, I'm on panels. I do ghost stories. Um, normally, if Valentine Wolf's there, um, we do a gig where they'll have like an hour and a half block, and I'll tell ghost stories for maybe 30 minutes, and they'll do their shit after. I'm like their opening act, pretty much, hmm. which is kind of like having, you know, the Archies open for the doors, but, you know, it's. Yeah.
3: <laughs> That's really cool, though. I I, I love that. I not walked out yet, but yeah, you can
4: kind of tell, like, what the fuck is he doing here? <laughs> Somebody's just like, you know, the con dad, you know, t-shirt, cargo shorts, and sandals, and, you know, corset, and flowing gown, and Braxton, you know, standing there with his double base, and tilt, knee-high boots, and all this, and here I come Hey, y'all, I ain't going to believe this shit. I said, I done seen Let me a ghost. <laughs> so cool, and
0: though. Desk,
4: and people always had this kind of dog on TV look like, what the hell?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but
4: we, we did it at Carn Carolina the year before last, And I'm not lying. I was thinking, you know, we'll have, you know, 20 people, whatever. 150 people showed up. Oh, we field main programming at a decent sized regional con on Saturday night at like eleven thirty. My first thought was, "What's wrong with these people? <laughs> Are they out of beer? What's, and what's going on?" And well we had a blast. But yeah, I mean, it, but it's very, it's very much one of those like. <laughs> these three things does not fucking match.
3: <laughs> I think that <laughs> like, makes for an epic show, though, you know?
4: When <laughs> you find, find their that Christmas city I was telling you about, yeah, it's like the Wexford Carol talking about dead kids, and all of a sudden, and here comes Hillbilly Jim around the corner talking about bush. It's like,
0: yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know, that the... the it's it, it obviously brings in a good crowd, because you keep getting asked to come back, and it's such a oh, yeah. cool way to do it. All right, well, Hello. we're going to let
2: you go, Tally. Thanks for coming on here. Thanks for telling the ghost stories. Yeah,
4: thank you all yeah, for having me. I appreciate it. It's been great.
2: No problem at all, man. No problem at all. You, uh... <laughs> Stay oh, safe down there, know. and uh, hopefully when all this COVID stuff's over with and everything gets back to normal again, you'll be back to doing your gay- day gig of singing for a Victorian-era de- era death metal band.
4: No, oh, I don't sing. I-, I tell stories. Sarah sings. She's a hell of a lot better than I am.
2: <laughs> Just trying Nobody- to envision this. I want to find this on video. <laughs>
4: okay. YouTube it, dude. Trust me. It's well, well worth it. Yeah. They're awesome.
2: That's awesome. <laughs> Well, Kelly, man, thank you very much, and uh, you take care, man. Thank Thanks, you. Tom, y'all too.
1: The Natural Born Alchemist podcast is a podcast that covers topics like alchemy, shamanism, psychedelics, anarchism, and philosophy. Join Alex, that's me, and a multitude of guests on a quest to discover the nature of reality, of spirit, and of consciousness. Each episode will also introduce you to new music that you might never have heard before. You can find the podcast on most platforms. Simply search for Natural Born Alchemist or go directly to naturalbornalchemist.com. There you'll be able to find all the social media links as well. Freedom is in the mind.
2: Want to see ghosts in your own home? Learn how to speak to the dead? Or go on a sightseeing tour of hell? A curious publications? We take wonderfully odd public domain books lost to obscurity and give them new life. ShopcuriousPublications.com My good friend, Mr. Kelly Johnson from South Carolina. He's got that long southern drawl, and it's it's like, it's hard to tell when he's done telling a sentence like canadians have that but not the long thing like like when you're having a conversation with a true like a northern canadian when they end their sentences they have like a question inflection on the end of it yeah so you're not sure if they're asking you a question or if they're not done talking yet like when you go to canada you'll be you know you'll be like yeah i went up to the store and got some beer and they'll be like yeah they've got some really good beer there eh? and what they're <laughs> trying to say is they have really good beer there but the way they say it it sounds like a question and when tally yeah. talks it's like I, I is the sentence done do do i say something here do i do i interrupt do i oh, oh he's still going okay okay all right yeah okay yeah
3: yeah there was a couple times i thought i interrupted i'm like oh i feel bad but oh, oh he's still going okay cool yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was really he was really
2: funny though too i actually enjoyed him he's a funny guy yeah i talked to him on facebook a lot uh my buddy james put me in touch with him. Um, there's a whole group of people that are in that clan and that group of people that I'm going to be pulling, you know, pulling from to get on here and things like that. Because I've, I've like it's weird, like since I started talking to you and since things have been going on behind the scenes, I've dipped my toe more and more back into the paranormal. And as, as me and you have talked about off the air, it's not a matter of covering a covering paranormal. It's a matter of how can I do this in a new and different or interesting way that isn't being done over and over again by everybody else in every way, shape or form because i stepped away from the stuff for a long time because it was just getting boring and it's you know not to sound arrogant or whatever um i got into podcasting because i wanted to learn new things i wanted to learn different things that everybody is always out there talking about because i grew up with all of this stuff i grew up as a kid watching in search of and all any, any kind of material i could get on the paranormal or weirdness or whatever i found growing up so by the time I'm older and podcasting became a thing and stuff and all these shows were talking about this stuff. I was like, well, I already I already know that I want to I want to discover weird, different and new, interesting stuff. So, you know, I don't want to talk to the same people on have them on the podcast that everybody else is having on their shows talking about the same things. So whenever somebody different or new pops up out there. Or somebody that's just new in the, in, in the whole of all of this, you know, people that have different or interesting things to say or taking things in different situations or are investigating like local urban legends or local folklore. You know, those are the people that I tend to gravitate to and try to find. And that's how I came across this guy. And he's a riot. He's he's, he's one of the most unusual southern people that I've ever talked to because he's he's kind of – he's like kind of hardcore liberal for the most part. Um, yeah, which is odd for the region that he's in of the country. It you know? really
3: is. It's yeah. different.
2: But and, you know uh, what?
3: His his uh, his sneaky comedy it, t- it takes me off guard sometimes because he's very he's very southern, so some of the things he says is is uh, a
2: little unexpected. So it adds yeah. so
3: much more comedy to it.
2: Yeah, it's it's like wait a minute was that a, oh that is a joke okay, <laughs> right. like and me and you checked out this 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 Victorian era death metal band that he was talking about who are. Who are interesting.
3: <laughs> they point- are interesting in the epitome of the word. You are
2: absolutely right. It's different. Winter Night Whisperings with uh with Valentine Wolf. I think it's Valentine Wolf is the name of the group. So do go and check these guys out. You can find them on YouTube. You've got this guy who's playing this elect like this electrically amplified cello and you've got this chick that's there like reading Edgar Allan Poe poetry and stuff to it. It's yeah, pretty her- wild. It's pretty her neat. Her voice is beautiful too though she does have a very beautiful voice it is yeah. very uh it is something like i could listen to with the headphones on at night you know after consuming some form of legal in michigan uh beverage or something right. um <laughs> or some <laughs> sounds form like of, a good time <laughs> <laughs> some form of legalized uh, form of, of uh of edible here in the states but any i mean up here in michigan <laughs> But uh, yeah, do check out do Check out Hallie, uh, Check out his books. Um, he's got a lot of stuff out there. Um, he wants to come back on again and talk about more ghost hauntings from the Capitol and stuff. But at that point, we'd already had him on the show for such a period of time. It was like, all right, well, we probably got to move this along here or whatever, because I had a feeling like he would be going all night long if I didn't.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot of really cool stories. So I'm sure he would have kept going. <laughs>
2: So uh, what, are you, uh, what are you researching and stuff? Well, I don't want to go too deeply into it because you're going to be coming back on here in a couple of weeks with uh, another paranormalist local guy around here uh, to tell stories and everything, but you're checking into, you're, you're like researching tulpas now or um, I've, things that I've work moved... like tulpas?
3: Well, it, I mean, I, I I shorten the term tulpas. It's basically energetically created energies like that collect into a form of being um, that's one of my research topics right now. The other one is I'm looking at different hierarchies through different mythologies and religions to see connections. So that's where I'm at right now with my research.
2: You're going to spend cool. a lot of time there. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, mostly I'm looking at like um, the the higher end uh, hierarchies, like sorceress and things like that.
2: Hmm. Have fun with that.
3: Yeah, it's, it should be fun, but I've, I've been getting pulled to that, so I feel like I need to do myself some service here and, and get it looked at. Are you one of those think, people
2: – like I get this vision of you like sitting in a living room floor with a laptop in front of you and just paper spread out all over around the living room floor.
3: the fucking lootly I have it spread all around <laughs> me all right now, in fact. so. <laughs>
2: Like, do you just have middle of folders laying all over? Or you have like stacks of paper everywhere and you tell your kids don't touch this stuff. Don't, don't go near this or,
3: yeah, yeah you know, and like I, when I the wind
2: blows be... through the window, everything scatters around the room.
3: Oh God, I'll lose my head. Um, and then I have to also be moving around constantly. So I have to be sitting on a wide open space, either like a huge bed or a floor to where I'm able to like roll and flip all different directions after I'm done, after I've been on one side for so long. Oh
2: my God. <laughs> See, with me, when I research... I'll have like, I got my computer, I got two monitors on this computer and then I can plug a third one in. And when I'm really going deep into stuff, like I'm doing it right now, if I look at my window, my, my browser, I've got like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine windows open on uh, nine windows, nine tabs on one screen. And then on the other screen, I've got like six more of them because I have,
3: I have 22 on one and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different programs open.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, you're like me. And then you've probably got all the pieces of paper laying around and stuff. Yep. <laughs> you, you're, <laughs> write not it a, down. you're not a printer person, are you? You're like a, a hand paper written everything person, aren't
3: Absolutely, you? Absolutely, yeah. And then I, once I get that done, then I put it in my computer and it gets lost somewhere on my computer and I never print it out and I always go back to my notebooks.
2: So you've got like spiral bound notebooks just everywhere. Tons of them. Tons wow. of Wow. Man, you need you need to get like file cabinets and stuff. That's what you, you do print, you print the shit out and then like put it over in a file cabinet or something and be like I'm going to come back to this later and you never do.
3: <laughs> I only do when it comes time and then I'm like I can't find it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. I know I know many people like that. I've got a buddy who's that way who's got like a basement just full of file cabinets and yes. Like, he doesn't even know entirely what he's got. You know, I'll just go over there, open up a file cabinet, and just pull a folder out. It'll be, like, overflowing with stuff and pictures and, <laughs> you know, and p- shit's held together with, like, like paper clips and stuff like that. I'm like, what's this? And he's like, I, I don't know, man. I'm not even sure what's in there at this point. And I'm like, well, what were you researching at the time? He goes, I don't know. Open it up, and I'll flip through it, and it'll be, like, buildings and houses and stuff like that, and there'll be, de- like, copies, old copies of deeds to the houses, <laughs> oh, you gosh. know, yep. birth certificates and stuff like that. And I'm like, what are you doing with this? So oh, I'm researching a haunting there, and that's probably the information that was in the house and who lived in the house and so forth and all that stuff. But he doesn't <laughs> yes. remember what the hell it was because he, t- he hasn't touched it in so long. So that's, you
3: know. that's the one difference about me. I have the memory. If I actually work the case, I remember nearly everything about it. So that's the only
2: difference. <laughs> wow. How do you do that? Yeah. How do you not get shit mixed up?
3: I don't even I don't know. I I just it's like there's little signals where, okay, this person had a dog. So I remember that. And then this person had this. And so I remember and this person had blonde hair. So that didn't fit with that. It's just weird. The little bits and pieces that fit together in my head. It just works out perfectly, I guess.
2: Man. Wow. Wow. I'm going to come down to your place one of these days and there's going to be mountains of paperwork. that are all mixed up everywhere on tables and shit.
3: Um, for the most part, they're in their own case file folders, so I do keep the file folders together. Huh.
2: So you just need a file cabinet, that's all you're saying?
3: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right. Well, we're gonna wrap this up here. Um, I'm gonna go back and listen to more Valentine Wolf playing cello and reading Edgar Allan Poe. Um, where can people find you? What What are your sites and stuff like that?
3: Uh, you can find me on Uncharted Studies on Facebook and also Ashira Vii on Facebook as well.
2: Cool. All right, kiddo, I will talk to you later, and we're going to wrap this up. This is Rogan from Detroit. As always, say whatever the hell you want. Uh, toodaloo. (laughs) Good enough? (laughs) Sure, whatever. We'll roll with it. (laughs)
3: Yay.